You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarlane. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name's Steve Bose. Great to be with you today. Uh, Trish McFarlane, our co-host, sadly not with us today. We say hello to her. We will see her again soon. Yes, once again, dear listeners, cold, snow, wind, everything. Uh, if you have suggestions for where I can move to a warmer climate, please uh, tweet at me or email me soon. I can't take it anymore. But we have a great show today, a super topic. We are going to talk about diversity and inclusion. Our guest is waiting in the wings before we welcome her. A couple of quick notes. Man, we've been doing some great stuff on the HR Happy Hour show. If I don't say my so myself, it's my show. But hey, we're doing great stuff. We've been covering the diversity and inclusion topic quite a bit as well. So you might want to check out the show we did with Dr. Laura Hamill from, from LimeAid on inclusion in the workplace. And also, I just did one with Mike DeClaudio from KPMG on where HR is heading in 2019 was a super fascinating conversation and went in directions. I wasn't even anticipating they were going to go in, but Mike was one of the best guests we've had on in a while. So I encourage you to check that show out as well. Uh, If you have an idea for a topic, a guest, a subject, et cetera, you can tweet at us at HR happy hour or send me an email, steve at h3hr.com. And remember, of course, the HR happy hour show is on your Amazon Alexa device. That's right. Add the HR happy hour skill to your Echo device's flash briefing and get a little dose of the HR happy hour a couple of times a week right through your Amazon Echo device. And finally, finally, the HR tech conference, my thing, where I work on all year, tickets are on sale now, www.hrtechconference.com. Use my code Steve300 for $300 off your registration. All right, enough of that nonsense. Hopefully you're not sick of it. I'm going to keep saying it over and over again, though, until the conference comes up. But let's get on to more interesting things. We are talking about diversity and inclusion and transformation. We have a super guest. Our guest today is Melissa Whiting. She's the Vice President, Diversity and Inclusion at Philip Morris International. Melissa joined PMI in 2001. Since then, she has held a variety of roles within the legal team based in Australia, Asia, and Eastern Europe. In 2017, Melissa was appointed Vice President, Inclusion and Diversity. In this role, she is responsible for leading PMI strategy and practices to create an inclusive workplace where all team members can succeed and contribute to PMI's ambition of achieving a smoke-free future. Her advancement within the organization highlights the value of empowering women in the workplace and the corporate benefits that equality, fairness, and diversity can bring. This is a cool part, Melissa, of the bio. I'm just getting to it now. You're an avid adventurer, has hiked the Himalayas, Kilimanjaro, Mont Blanc, I hope I said that right, and across the Pyrenees. That sounds exciting. And she believes curiosity, perseverance, and pushing through discomfort are the key to growth and fulfillment. Melissa, welcome to the show. You've got one of the best bios I've read in ages. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. That's great to hear. Yeah, mountain climbing. It's uh, a lot of similarities with corporate life. 
Yeah, I'm going to tell you what. Step in front of the other. Yeah, yeah, and and up, my, 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 not just one step in front, one step above the other too. Those sound pretty, uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm sitting in my office in Switzerland, actually looking at the mountains across the lake. It's a pretty cold day here as well. Do you get to run out there since you're an avid kind of adventurer? Do you get to just on the weekend pop over to one of those mountains and and, and do some of that? Is that something that's happening over there in Switzerland? Yeah, there's pretty much nothing nothing else to do on the on the weekends. I'm out. <laughs> it's not Manhattan. It's beautiful. Lots of yeah. mountains. All right. Well, we're gonna have to maybe arrange a follow up show, Melissa, and take the HR happy hour on the road uh, on location to Switzerland. We, may, we should make that happen. But Melissa, I, it's great to have you. So thanks for joining us all the way from Switzerland. One of our farthest guests we've had on in a while. Philip Morris International or PMI, we'll probably use both terms in the course of the show. Let's can we start real quick though with just kind of a quick overview of what's happening at PMI because even in your bio, I mentioned uh, you know you mentioned the company is sort of transitioning to this smoke-free future. And I have to admit, some some of what's going on there surprised even me who doesn't follow this industry all that closely. I'd love to get a little bit of a just a little bit of context around PMI and in particular the transformations that are happening at PMI. Yeah, sure. You probably know PMI is the world's leading international tobacco company um, with a number of the world's most recognized and iconic cigarette brands. I won't mention the name. Sure. Um, but they're, they're pretty well known to people all over the world. We're selling these cigarette brands in more than 180 markets. We've got a diverse workforce of more than 75,000 employees all across the world. So that's what most people think of when they think of PMI, leading international tobacco company. Um, you may not know um, that or your, your listeners may not know, we have this really bold vision of leading the transformation of the tobacco industry to create what we, what we call a smoke-free future. In practice, that means we have a vision um, that cigarettes will one day be obsolete. Mm-hmm. No one will smoke anymore. And adults who want to use tobacco or nicotine will have a choice of a range of smoke-free alternatives that are scientifically substantiated to be a much better choice than smoking cigarettes. So. Wow. So our practical ambition is to actually stop manufacturing and selling cigarettes and replace them with smoke-free products as soon as possible. Thanks, Melissa, for a little bit of that context. And that's got to be kind of a jarring transformation um, inside PMI, right, uh, to to basically say we are going to disrupt ourselves here in 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 a big business, too. For folks who maybe not appreciate this, I looked this up before the show. PMI is just outside the Fortune 100 Uh the Fortune 108 is what I I hope I got that right on the Fortune 500 list. This is a huge organization, global organization, yeah. undergoing yeah. some significant yeah. transformation. Yeah, we're just, yeah, we're we're a big multinational company, a leading tobacco company around the world. Like I said, more than seventy five thousand employees, and this vision that we have of creating a smoke-free future effectively means, as you said, we're transforming our entire business from the inside out and doing it to ourselves for not being taken over so we're basically going from a traditional manufacturing distribution company with i would say a relatively simple simple and predictable business model and we have okay. a single product line cigarette okay um so we're transitioning from that sort of legacy style business to a science and technology focused company with a pipeline of complex innovative products many of which involve electronics um, and, and scientific substantiation. So 
also as part of that transformation, we're moving to a much more consumer-facing, consumer-centric retail business. So cigarettes, to be frank, cigarettes in many ways build themselves. It's really sales amounted to B2B and merchandising. Right. Um, for smokers to change their behavior from cigarettes to switch to innovative smoke-free products that involve electronics, they need to understand how they work. They need some coaching to be able to use them. They need to understand what benefits they offer and what they don't. It's very important that they understand how the product works. We need to have after-sales care in relation to electronics. Um, we need to be able to understand the consumer experience with data. So it's a complete transformation of, of the entire business. Um, so massive um, in terms of the skills, the knowledge, the ways of working to make decisions. Um, the way the way I often think about it is, in, you know, in a simple traditional business model, it's a multinational company like we had doing distribution and manufacturing. You learn what to do and how to make the right decisions through experience. So because by the time you reach senior leadership, you've basically seen it all. Right. Um, and I think that lends itself to a somewhat hierarchical command and control style of working. Um, whereas in a science and technology driven company that's consumer facing, consumer centric, um, indeed one that's in, you know, in the face of digital transformation and disruption, ideas can come from anywhere and at any level. So, um, so from the inside, the transformation means we're focusing on bringing in principles of agile working, lean, state, lean startups, emphasizing empathy, curiosity, experimentation, uh, ongoing learning, breaking down the hierarchy, giving people space to participate, making sure different voices are heard, you know, challenging basically the status quo and traditional ways of doing business, uh, which is massive. Um, yeah. and, then, and then outside as well, we're transforming as well. We're much more proactive, openly engaging in conversations with the public health community, with governments, the public generally, listening, learning, contributing to the public debate around health um, right. and the role that smoke-free products can have uh, in, in uh, addressing the harm caused by smoking, as well as topics that all companies are involved in discussing sustainability, reducing environmental impact, reducing inequalities like, um, like diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you transitioned to that, Melissa, as well. Because there's one thing I do want to say as well as, as we carry on the rest of the conversation. This happens to be we're talking with Melissa from PMI. It happens to be a tobacco company, and you know, but this is not a debate about smoking and smoke free, right? That, that's that's the kind of change that's happening at PMI. But this could be any kind of organization. This could be uh, some of the things we're going to talk about. I think uh, as we go forward are, are, are applicable to any kind of organization that's undergoing or has to undergo these significant kinds of transformations, whether they're digital transformations or market-centric uh, transformations or um, generational kinds of transformations as well. And, and the challenges that Philip Morris, uh, a PMI is going to face and is facing, I think are the same kinds of challenges that loads and loads of companies could face. So I, I talked to a, we talked to a city government, the city of Memphis, not too long ago, Melissa on the show, an HR leader from, from a city government. And, she was saying many of the same things, right? They're trying to digitize the way they approach their constituents, right? And change the, the skills that they need to, to be better serve their uh, consumers, if you will, or their customers are changing rapidly, right? With changes in, in, in how their world is working. So I think, it's, I think it could be any kind, any kind of business here that we're talking about. So let's talk about this transformation in this context of people, talent, 
and diversity, right? Which is your area, especially, uh, Melissa. How are some of the things that the way that you guys are approaching the kinds of people you're looking to hire, the ways you're developing people, and certainly your efforts to increase um, representation at different levels of the organization, including management? I know we can talk about this in a second. How how does I feel like it must be challenged? The transformation, I guess, itself is really really challenging for the business. But now you also have these really bold initiatives and and objectives, right, to improve the diversity and inclusiveness of the organization. How do you sort of balance the both, and how do they support each other? I I think they support each other, and they're completely interlinked, and it becomes part of the narrative when you're talking about them. I mean, as you pointed out. Almost every company in the world is going through some sort of transformation. There's almost transformation fatigue. Right. Um, and Philip Morris even overemphasized because not only the digital world around us, fourth industrial revolution, we're actually completely changing our entire business from within. So diversity and inclusion is a critical enabler to that transformation and is therefore a business priority. Usually I say internally to employees, you can't find a company that doesn't have a DNI strategy today. Um, because of the benefits around diversity, bringing innovation, creativity, you know, increased performance. Um, it's the same for us. So this transformation we're undergoing, you know, to put it mildly, is no easy thing to do. Um, right. So it's extraordinarily important for us to attract, develop the most, the most talented women and men from the widest possible pool, not have their potential um, or participation limited in any way. And even more important than that, um, which which you'll know and your listeners will know from diversity and inclusion, we want to create an, an environment and a culture that values, respects, makes room for their different voices, their perspectives, so that we can actually unleash the creativity and the benefit of having the diversity in the first place. Um, otherwise, diversity is just ticking boxes. So, yeah, the, so the, I mean, the way we balance it internally, the external research is just so strong, so overwhelming that more gender balanced organizations with more ethnic, generational, cultural diversity are more innovative and consumer centric and perform better. Um, so, so it's, it, it's, it's a key enabler of the transformation. Right. Having said that, um, one of the challenges, despite people understanding it, is to keep progress on a, on inclusion and diversity as a day-to-day priority um, amongst all the other priorities and the changes that are going on. Um, and so how do you actually, although everyone understands inclusion and diversity, diversity and inclusion is critical in your day-to-day, how do you keep moving action um, and not have it become sort of some fluffy concept on a slide? Um, and one of the things that we have focused on um, is the very pragmatic um, equal salary certification process that we went through to really keep a, a focus on action and building a platform for, for further for further progress. Yeah, Melissa, I'm glad you brought that up because that was recently released, this news about how PMI achieved uh, a global equal salary certification. So just since since we're talking about that now, why don't we at least um, set some context? Because I have to admit, I, I'm aware of a lot of these uh, studies that have come out and many of the tech companies, for example, here in the U.S. have been reporting uh, information about their demographics and, and salary. Google was just in the news again here in the U.S., uh, oddly enough for apparently reporting they'd underpaid a whole lot of men, uh, apparently. But um, uh, can you maybe just share with the listeners what the global equal salary certification is? Because I had not heard of it before I became aware that that PMI had been uh, had achieved that certification. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, actually, on Monday, so we're now Wednesday, on Monday, we became the first company to achieve global equal salary certification. It's a certification 
involving an equal pay methodology developed by an independent non-profit foundation called the Equal Salary Foundation. Mm-hmm. Very creative name. Um, the certification, <laughs> right. right. So the certification verifies, the global certification verifies that PMI pays men and women the same for the same work um, or work of equal value everywhere we operate all over wow. the world. So, you know, we've got 90 affiliates around the world from Argentina to Indonesia to Morocco and many, many more. Um, and, and yeah, confirming we're paying men and women equally for the same work everywhere. Um, I've got to be honest with you, when I took on this project and decided I want to do it, I was in two minds because, you know, there's a part of me that thinks in 2019, I can't believe that women would be paid any differently from men for the same work. Um, you know, and everyone I talk to and everyone agrees women should be paid the same as men for sure. the same work. And, right. In most countries, there are anti-discrimination laws. Um, and yet, you know, this fundamental measure of equality can't be taken for granted and certainly not all over the world. So we thought it was really important to confirm our actual pay practices, what we did in, in practice, match our, match our good intentions and our commitment mm-hmm. to equality. Um, by by getting a, a credible third party verification. Yeah, no, I was I was just going to ask Melissa as you underwent this process because I've read some about it and we'll share the link to the kind of the the news about it in the press release too. It, it talks about uh, you have there's a third party auditor, PwC is involved in this and auditing documentation and, and salary practices as well as um, even doing interviews with managers all over the world. It sounded like so it's, it's a really in depth um, process of discovery and reporting and analysis um, in order to arrive at this conclusion of, of the global equal salary certification. Were there changes that you found or were there many changes? I've got to believe there were some here and there. There might have been pockets where PMI had to adjust some compensation practices, but were there were there any widespread? Like I read, again, I mentioned that Google article and you read things like that here and it says, oh, companies, you know, have underpaid thousands of women for 10 years, right? Were, did, did you find there were some adjustments you had to make unbeknownst to, to, to you at the time that to, in order to sort of make things um, uh, more uh, equitable? Look, I think we had some some great learnings. I think the, the, the main thing to understand here that despite the name equal salary certification, the value of the certification for us is much broader than, than a narrow statistical analysis of pay. Okay. Right. So, and we've got, as I think most multinational companies do, very robust compensation policies and practices with clearly defined job grades based on the Hay methodology and removing as much discretion as possible from pay practices. And and what we've and, and there are two parts, as you said, to the audit. There is the quantitative analysis of salary data, where mm-hmm. um, the the foundation uses a, a regression statistical analysis to look at whether there are any inexplicable differences in the pay of men and women at equal jobs or or, or equal salary grades all over the world. Mm-hmm. Right. We pass, we pass that and then you go into a qualitative audit which is conducted by PwC as the official audit partner appointed by the foundation to check their methodology. And that's where it was most valuable for us. So there's three parts to that. Um, the PwC team goes into affiliate all over the world, they talk to the management team in Egypt, they ask the managing director, what is your commitment to pay equality, what is your commitment to equality? They then have focus groups with women in the organization to say, well, what's your perception looking up at the management about their commitment to gender equality? And then they review all of our HR-related policies and practices about recruitment, about um, performance ratings, about promotion, to look for potential gender 
blind spots effectively um, that might make it more difficult for women to progress um, and therefore influence pay in the long term. So that's it's a really rigorous it's a really rigorous process. It took us 18 months um, and of PwC going into you know every affiliate around the world um, and this input and commitment from the top down and the bottom up. Um, it was re is really critical, I guess, as a tangible proof of our commitment to equality to employees. So what are, the things that we learned, um, one of the most important things is for management to look in more granularity to their data. So okay. our, as, as part of, for example, our business priority of progressing gender balance, we clearly have targets. We've made it a business priority. There are targets, there are, they are measured, they are reported on, management is accountable. But it's usually about how, how gender balanced are we? How many women are in management? And one of the recommendations in some markets was go deeper. Have a look at how many women you're recruiting. Look at how many women are being promoted. Look at the comparison between men and women's performance ratings. Look how many women are leaving on each salary grade in each function. So they have much more granular information about where there may be an opportunity to improve. Um, another learning that really came out was it's really important to listen to your people. Um, some of the focus groups with women raised in some markets are perceptions that there might be a glass ceiling. Imagine if you're in a market and you're a fairly junior management and you're looking up to an all senior management team that's all men. Mm -hmm. There was a perception yeah. that there was no career path. So again, yeah, and you, um, right, and you may be you, then more likely to leave on your own, on your own volition, just because you don't perceive that there's a viable uh, upward career path, if that's your goal, right, in that particular market. You might go find someone else to work with or, or drop out altogether just because of this perception. Yeah, exactly right. And it was, that was they were the most, it, it sounds softer, it was more about the qualitative process, but that's really what the great learnings for us were. And, and you can have the best policies and procedures in the world, but it's really the human interaction and the listening and the learning that really is very valuable for long-term um, pay equity. And I think it's valuable, you point out just the the depth and the richness behind the process and, and, and a little bit of the length it took as well, but, but certainly how it, it gets beyond just a simple, sure, anybody can do a fairly simple survey of their salary data and look at job grades and look at tenure and a couple of other factors and Make, throw, make a guesstimate, right, about how you're doing in terms of pay equity and, and, and pay fairness, uh, perhaps. Uh, I'm not sure if you use that word, but I, I use that word. Uh, but digging deeper, digging deeper into some of these causal effects as well. Like one of the things that, that frustrates me and maybe others as well, when whether it's technical roles or lead, senior leadership roles or board of director roles, et cetera, you'll see things that says, well, there's not enough viable women candidates for these roles or there's not enough, you know, underrepresented community candidates for these roles, et cetera. That's why they tend to go to the same group of white males all the time. But when you say that, do you ever really think about, well, why is that the case? What are we doing? Who are we recruiting into our entry-level roles? How are we making sure that we're cultivating and, and developing and supporting people as they build up their careers, right? How do we make sure that we're not causing that own, that own problem ourselves, and right? And just arriving at the end to say, oh, well, we don't have enough candidates from XYZ community, therefore we can't have the diversity that we really would like. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And and, and it's um the, the the equal salary certification is like one building block to gender balancing the business. And right. in the way, I mean, it's equal pay for equal work. And I think it's really important to be clear 
equal pay for equal work is different from the gender pay gap. I mean, I've often had to explain to employees here the gender pay gap that gets reported so often in the press is really that aggregate average salaries. Right. And and the and, and unequal pay for equal work can contribute to that, but obviously the bigger contributor I think is the underrepresentation of women in higher paying industries or yeah. in senior leadership. So we were very clear, equal equal salary certification doesn't immediately address the gender pay gap or the gap in talent in women in high leadership positions. But it was for us, it was foundational to get the basics right, um, make sure we're paying men and women equally for the same work. And because of the design of the methodology with the qualitative part, you start to focus management's attention to potential barriers for women. You get them to look into um, their data more closely. So it really becomes a platform and it really has here. It's a creative platform for conversations inside the company on what more needs to be done to progress gender balance, creating awareness around that recruitment, around that promotion, or around the lack of flexible working. Mm-hmm. But rather than just going at it because it's such a complex matter to address improving gender balance, it's so multifaceted. Right. We wanted to be very pragmatic, start with the basics and use that to leverage off, if that makes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And that's the scary part, I think, to some folks. Like, I, I always try to I try as best we can when we do these, the, do these shows, uh, Melissa, to try to like steer towards, well, okay, so there are folks listening to the show who have not undergone, say, a certification process or an audit in such depth that, that you have, you guys have at PMI. And I always try to say, well, what can we do? What, what, where should we start? Or what's, what's some pieces of advice? And, I, and this particular topic, I worry a little bit about it because just as, as you said, Melissa, it just feels so complex and daunting that like it can be a difficult one from which to pick a starting point. Would you recommend, say, just a baseline kind of process or salary study or, or a full-on certification as, as you guys have undergone as a good starting point? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think it's, it's very valuable to get a third-party audit of salary data to go with a methodology like the equal salary certification that we went with that goes beyond the statistics um, has been incredibly valuable for us for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, the first one is it's proof to our employees that we're committed to equality. So, you know, you can have statements about intentions um, and good intentions, but without action and third-party proof, it's all kind of just nice words. Mm. So it was really sticking a stake in the ground. And then, as I said, it's also... It's given us, in some ways, the pride of this achievement. And it was a pretty difficult audit all over the world. Oh, and yeah. now there's a, there's a pride of recognition in that achievement. We're the first company to put our money where our mouth is and get equal salary certified in every country we operate. That's a very good place from which I can now motivate further action. Um, and, I mean, you could argue maybe I could have motivated this sort of action with internal conversations, with me doing an internal audit but I think having a third party come in really focuses the mind in a different way of leaders um, when they've got to prepare for third parties. Um, it yeah. gives it a weight of seriousness that an internal audit might not. Um, and then, of course, they're super proud to pass it. And then they're, they've got some momentum. Let's keep going now. How can we continue to progress? Um, which in receiving the certification on Monday, our CEO said, we're very proud of this. We're the first company to be equal salary certified around the world. And this is just one more building block on our path to become a truly gender balanced inclusive company because that that is the next mountain we're climbing using my mountain climbing analogy <laughs> right well that fits right right 
Right. And even that's not the end goal in itself. Yes, we want to be a gender balanced company at all levels of leadership, but the end goal is really maximizing the potential and the performance of everyone. Um, yeah. to the benefit of everyone and the benefit of the company, right? Um, yeah, and I think the other thing, Melissa, just for me, for my semi-cynical nature that, that I view the world, I, I think the certification process, especially the third-party element to it, um, signals a commitment to this issue and to um, equity and fairness, et cetera, from the organization that other strategies that you mentioned that you could have undergone just don't have endemic to them or just not a part of them just because of their nature. Right. And, and if you indeed, especially in certain markets, uh, maybe that had been uh, traditionally, I don't know, less equitable, say for lack of a better word, that just the organization or just leadership committing to something or saying something doesn't really maybe hold that same sway as, Hey, we've been certified. We've undergone this rigorous audit. We're the first company in the world to be globally certified for this that signals a commitment to this issue and, and more than just words behind it, I guess I'd say you're, the organization is really putting their, their resources and their uh, and leaderships behind it as well. Right. Right. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah and, and also I think you're right around with the, the global nature of the certification for, for me. Um, and this is where, this is where I really believe, you know, Philip Morris international, can can contribute to positive change in the world. There's the work that we're doing on on, on improving public health with smoke-free alternatives to cigarettes. But wherever you come out on that, we have a role to play in other sustainability areas. And you know, if I, if I can imagine in in the countries that we operate all around the world, not only in the Western world, if all the local manufacturers followed our lead and became equal salary certified. <laughs> Yeah. That could have quite a big impact, right? That could have quite a big impact on the world. I think that's something to be really proud of. It sure um, could. Yeah. Even here in Switzerland, I, I told this story on, on Monday um, in the cafeteria here. A young woman came up to me and said, thanks for this certification. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, she basically said to me, I hear so much in the news and stories about the pay gap between men and women. I've often wondered for myself, how would I actually know that I was being paid fairly? And yeah. she just said, you know, the fact that the company is, has undergone a certification, got got a third party to confirm it, sets her mind at rest. At least when it comes to pay, she's been treated fairly. And, and again, that that commitment, that 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 signal to folks in the organization, that, that's that's incredibly powerful and valuable. And I I, I don't want to, um, I wouldn't discount that for folks who are listening to the show who are thinking about. Um, even what, no matter what, right? Your organization can be big, global, like Philip Morris International. It could be could be medium sized, could be small. There's probably likely people in your organization who are believe certainly, fairly or unfairly, that they're not being treated fairly for a multitude of reasons. And I'm not saying even a certification like this solves every single individual's issue, right? With maybe how they feel like they're being compensated or treated, but it's a huge step towards. Um, uh, setting the stage or building that foundation for additional work beyond. And, and Melissa, you mentioned a couple of things on this. And I maybe before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you about one more thing, which is uh, the PMI's commitment to increasing uh, gender balance uh, as you move up the organizational hierarchy, for lack of a better word, and, um, and, and hoping to develop more women into more senior roles, senior management roles, and even executive roles. And one of the things I was interesting about it, and here's kind of the question I want to ask is, 
you've got numbers and commitments and percentages like on your website, like of the numbers, your, your, your goals for these, some of these um, objectives. And I, I'd love for you to comment about the, that in general, and also about the importance of, of, of putting real tangible numbers out there and committing to that and what that means. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you've got to have numbers, you've got to have targets. It's not rocket science, it's a business priority, so you've got to have a target. So we have targets to increase the representation of women in management roles. Um, the first target is to increase the number to 40%, at least 40% by 2022. Um, and we're making pretty good progress today. We went, women hold 35% of management positions across the whole company, which were up six percentage points since the end of 2014. Now that's that's all of management. Um, we still have a lot of work to do, particularly to gender balance our senior leadership population, which is very significantly still male dominated. Um, but we think you have you have to set a target. You have to measure progress. The way we go about then um, making progress, I think it's not going to be a surprise. You've got basically three levers in improving gender balance. One is making sure we're trying to hire equal higher equal numbers of women and men into entry levels into the company. Right. Um, and attracting talented women. In the past, uh, in the tobacco, tobacco sector, it was difficult to attract men, and even more so, I think, women to work for tobacco companies, a perception around the industry. That is changing with the vision of creating a smoke-free future. Um, we need to also make sure we're promoting talented women from within in the same proportions as men, and then we try to retain women and men by offering flexible work options that make it then make it possible to have a family and a high-level career at the same time. So it, it, it means setting the target and continuously putting in actions place, action plans to progress towards those targets. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And, and then I think, I think it's also important to, to go beyond the numbers because I think it's really important to build a narrative and an emotional connection with the whole organisation about why gender balance is important for everyone. Um, and I think... For, for me, I think it's quite heartening to see the importance of gender balance becoming mainstream in the discussions. There's a lot of talk about inclusion and diversity, as you, as you said at the beginning. We're in the week leading up to International Women's Day. But I fear sometimes the IND is positioned as sort of a focus on the negative and on correcting inequalities, perhaps, and, and righting wrongs, which is which is important to right wrongs and correct inequalities. <laughs> sure. I think it's important to frame it in as a positive opportunity, um, a positive opportunity to better connect with each other, to grow, to learn from each other, um, to understand each other better. Um, so that's really, so we've got the numbers to make it pragmatic and business, but then the, the narrative and the emotional connection for everyone, for women and men, why is it important that men be engaged on this as well, is really critical. And, and I guess there's one, there's a couple of things we're doing along that. Um, if you've just got a couple of minutes yeah, sure. in this week leading up to International Women's Week, um, where we're basically recognizing, um, this week with a, with a week that we should calling the, the Week of Women. And it's going to culminate in a, in a fair share conference on Friday, 8th of March, which is International Women's Day. It's the first time we've done this conference at Philip Morris, which is going to be, um, an immersive program of presentations, discussions from internationally recognized women with an audience of 150 of our men. Okay, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's International Women's Day. We're bringing men together to hear from some really well-recognized women about communicating more inclusively with women and 
150 very curious, courageous, supportive men from across the organisation have signed up to participate because they want to uh, become better communicators with women um, yeah. and break down any of the, you know, we can have a glass. I'm going to tell you what, cleaner. I would tell you just about every man could use that skill, I think, Melissa, in many levels, I, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, certainly my experience, sometimes what a man says and what he means and what I hear and what I understand are completely different things and uh, vice versa. Yeah. Melissa, that's really, really interesting. And, and, and just for a couple of quick notes, um, we're recording this on, I'll, I'll say, I usually don't bother because people like, I don't like to give people behind the look at how the sausage is made here at HR Happy Hour. We're recording this on March 6th. I'm not sure the show is going to run before March 8th, but um, it's, uh, it's it, right, International Women's Day is March 8th. And, and I know that, man, there's so, so many cool things to, we could probably keep talking about this for a while, Melissa. One of the other things, just real quick, I saw, uh, on the PMI website was just highlighting, I mean, dozens and dozens of women leaders or women throughout the organization at PMI and their stories and, and their career paths and their goal. I mean, that just really, really cool stuff and not that hard to do either. And I, I just wonder why more companies don't do stuff like that. It seemed like it's not that complex to do, but you guys do a great job at that. I'm glad you brought it up because I'm also really, really proud of that. Um, that's been, it's been super fun. Basically we, we're calling this project 42 mm-hmm. and we're sharing 42 stories of inspiring women across all of PMI. The inspiration for the 42, I'm Australian, just bear with me. It's the distance in kilometers in a marathon is 42. Okay, um, 42K, gotcha, that, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, and because careers are a bit like a marathon for everyone, but especially for women sometimes. So how we did this, we basically crowdsourced um, from employees. We asked employees across the whole world um, to in, to nominate a woman at work who inspires them for any reason, for being courageous and kind, for juggling work, family, passions, mountain climbing, you know, for having a positive impact on the world, any reason. Um, and it was a huge success. We received 668 nominations from okay, men and wow. women all over the world, which was which was much more than I expected. Um, we then had to select 42, which was nearly impossible because they were all... <laughs> really inspiring and we had to read them all um but i i guess the point of the story in some ways was what inspired me the most was the fact that the fact that 668 men and women took the time to write a story about women at work who 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 inspire them and for me that really you know how we balance for better how we make progress from the top down and from the bottom up those small actions taken by everyone really add up uh, and make a difference to Philip Morris and I think the world. Yeah, I, I, it's real. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes as well to, for folks to to, to look at that the, the Project Forty Two stuff, which I, I looked at a few. I read a few of them this morning, and just super interesting and and interesting also because it's just every story is different. You know, stories from all over the world, uh, women in all kinds of different roles and all with their own different story. Just kind of fascinating and interesting to read and inspiring as well. And I I got to believe that that helps in some way to to help other folks at PMI, women especially, but anybody really to say, hey, you know, I, I identify with that. I relate to that. That could be me someday, maybe, or that is me now, right? And I get it. And I feel like I feel good about that. Right, right. Highlighting role models and, yeah. and inspiration is really powerful. It sounds fluffy, but inspirational. Inspiration is what drives action. And uh-huh. it's how do we create an, a chain of inspiration between employees? It's really easy to do. Ask, ask crowdsource your employees for stories about about their peers and their colleagues who inspire them. Yeah. So here's my big takeaways from this show. I have to tell you, one is I'm kind of a little bit 
overwhelmed by just kind of this transformation in general at PMI, right? This this commitment, this this over commitment to moving towards a different future, a smoke-free future as you. That's your words, not mine, right? Like PMI's words, not mm-hmm. mine. And and this commitment to diversity and inclusion and their approach to uh, make these things real, make these things um, uh, a key fundamental component of this transformation. The commitment to the global equal salary certification, which I said at, at the, at earlier in the show, I did not know anything about, but now having learned about it from from your story, uh, Melissa, it's um, it sounds like something more organizations should definitely look into and, and definitely try to be a part of. And then finally, just just uh, the the ways that you're engaging with your diverse communities in the commitment to uh, making PMI um, kind of a different place moving forward in concert with the business transformation. So it's, it's, I don't know, I'm kind of fluffing you up a little bit here, Melissa. I've got no, uh, I've got no reason to do that, honestly, but uh, I'm really impressed with the story and I'm I'm so glad you uh, were able to spend some time with us to talk about it. Uh, Thank you, Steve. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, keep it real. Kind of, we're making it real. We're making Philip Morris this is who we are. It's not perhaps what you expect from the outside yeah. looking in, but, you know, this is the inside looking out. We're really stepping into transforming the company and the world, you know? Yeah. This wonderful message, super message and really interesting one as well. And I hope folks appreciate, uh, appreciate it as, as much as I did. So um, we will put the links in the show notes uh, on Twitter. You can find PMI at inside PMI and I'll link to also the PMI uh, inclusion and diversity. It's PMI.com slash inclusion and diversity, tons of resources there and encourage folks to check this out and to read about the uh, certainly about the equal salary certification process as well. So thanks once again, Melissa Whiting from Philip Morris International for joining us. Fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Steve. Bye. All right. So that's it from the HR Happy Hour show. Uh, Great conversation. We're killing this topic lately. So uh, keep it locked in. Remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour show wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Steve Bowes. For our guest, Melissa Whiting, for Trish McFarlane, it's been great to be with you today. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.